Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Well, good morning. This week I flew to Orlando for a Young Life conference. It was awesome, um, but I missed my family, and on Friday... I uh, flew back in and landed in the airport and walked out of the airport into the parking lot and I got attacked by three kids who had dearly missed their daddy. And uh, when Honey and Hutch hugged me and Macy Hart put me in a chokehold, I was reminded that God is so good. But a week ago, I got a text message and it let me know that one of my friends was in critical condition from an overdose. And... Six years ago, his wife, who was a dear friend, passed away and from cancer, and ever since then, he had really been struggling with how does he deal with, with this, and yesterday, he was buried, and um, his 10-year-old son is growing up now without a mom or a dad. Is God good? You know, it's a question that we all wrestle with, and some days, we feel like God is so good, and some days, we, we ask, is God good? And a lot of times, it's determined by our circumstances. Today we're going to look at our Old Testament passage that we read in Genesis chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there with me to look at this question that folks have been asking ever since the beginning of creation. Is God good? In Genesis 2 verse 7, we read, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. Right here in the very beginning of Scripture, we get to see a picture of what God is really like, that God is an artist and a sculptor, and he created us like a careful potter. It says, the Lord God formed man from the ground. And then it says, he breathed life into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became living. God's very nature is life-giving, so much so that when he breathes into things, things that were not alive become alive. Then in Genesis 2, verse 8, it says, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. God is a gardener. And when it says the Lord God planted a garden, I imagine that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are having this umaganda day together. And I picture that, you know, they're sitting there and they're taking these seeds that they're creating and they're digging in the dirt and they're planting them into the ground and they're imagining things and they're coming true. Do you know we have more than 60 different varieties of flowers in our garden here? And more than 100 varieties of different vegetables. And, you know, scientists today are aware of over 400,000 different species of flowers and over 200,000 different species of edible plants. I don't know how many God planted that day in the Garden of Eden, but I imagine it was this joyful and delightful time as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit garden together. And then we see that he put a man there after he had planted the garden. He put the man that he had formed The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground and trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. We see that the nature of God is God is an artist. He is life-giving, that he's a gardener, and that he loves giving his children a home. And one that's not just any kind of home, but one that is pleasing to the eye. He loves beauty. For those of you in here who love to decorate your homes or who love fashion and to decorate your bodies with a different outfit or who love to paint or to garden You 
are created in the image of God, and that is the Imago Dei coming out of you. We have a God who is a creative creator. He didn't just want the trees to be pleasant to the sight. It says that he also wanted the trees to be good for, for food. What kind of God is it that cares so much for his children that he creates food that we delight in? That he would not just create anything, but he created taste buds that we could taste these amazing things. I imagine God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit sitting there in the garden and, and creating these things together. And you know, maybe God, the Father, is saying, y'all, I bet they are going to love some, some peppers, some salty peppers, because I imagine God used the word y'all. And then the, whole, you know, the Son would maybe respond and say, oh, let's make some hot peppers too. Let's make them so hot that they use my name after they eat them. Jesus, help me. You know, and then the Holy Spirit creating some potatoes and sweet potatoes and maybe carrots they could roast. And then the Father saying, edamame would be fun. And then, and then maybe Jesus saying, you know what, let's make them really happy. I'm going to create the coffee bean. Amen? Can I get amen? <laughs> you know, no matter what you believe about God, you have to admit there are a lot of things in our world that exist that are simply delightful. And things that didn't need to be delightful. You know, did God need to create color? Did he need to create rainbows? Did birds need to sing? Did he need to create the taste of salt or shooting stars? These are just simple ways that God has revealed to us his unbelievable goodness and his generosity and his delight in us, his creation. And he's a God that's so big that he didn't just stop with earth, but he designed galaxies and he designed planets and a universe that's far to us, far too big for us to even fathom. We can look through a telescope and see as far as we can and we cannot see the vastness of what God has created. But we can also look through a microscope and we can look down and see tiny molecules and electrons and atoms. And when we look both places, through a telescope or through a microscope, we'll see something that will give us goosebumps. We'll see that there are many of the same patterns out there as there are right here. God is so careful in how he creates. His design is so intentional. And it is created with great delight. God's design displays his delight in us, his creation. Oh, how generous are you, Lord, that you would care so much about us, that you would take such care to delight in these things that you're creating. And yet, we see that God is good, my kid's hugging me, but we also face the reality that there are hard things that happen like friends passing away. And we see God's design and we see God's delight, but we still ask, God, are you good? And that's what happens here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. We are a people who is surrounded every day. We're surrounded by God's generosity. And yet we're a people who continue to fix our gaze on what we could have or what we should have or what we don't have. 
Maybe it happened for you a few weeks ago at Christmas. You know, maybe you got a lot of gifts, but you didn't get that one thing that was on your list. You know, and we notice when we didn't get that one thing. You know, we could get all of these other things, but that one thing is what we focus on. We are a people whose hearts focus on that tree of knowledge of good and evil. God has given us all of this beauty to delight in. And yet we are fixated on what we cannot have. That's what the enemy tempted Adam and Eve with in Genesis 3. That's what he tempts us with today. And so each week what we do on Sundays is we gather here together as a family of God to remind each other what is true. That God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is a generous God. And that the heart of God is not a heart that withholds from us, but one of goodness and delight in us. Just pause for a moment and ask this question. What do you think God is withholding from you? You know, whenever we get tempted to believe that God is withholding something from us, let's remember that God is not like us, fickle humans. He is not generous one day and then changes his mind like, oh, they didn't obey me. I'm going to not be generous today and be really stingy. He is an unchanging God who is forever generous, and he is never withholding what is best for us. The psalmist writes in Psalm 36, 5, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. The psalmist gets it. The psalmist knows that God wants to delight in his children. And this is crucial for us to understand as God's children. Christianity is not about us being nicer people. It's not about behavior modification. It's about us knowing God and being in communion with our creator. And that is what we are saved for. Knowing him and allowing him to delight in us. And us delighting in God. And as we know him as he truly is, then we will begin to desire him more than anyone or anything else. And as we know him, what happens in us is we experience this deeper intimacy with him. One that causes us to not desire those other things so much, but causes us to desire the Lord himself. It actually impacts all of our relationships. It affects our marriages. It affects our friendship. And when we have this intimacy with Christ, it leads us to less fear, to less shame, less anxiety, less regret. Fear and anxiety melt away when we know the one who holds the whole world in his hands. And shame and regret evaporate when we understand that God is fully generous. That is his nature. That is who he is. And so the more we lean into the generous heart of God, the more we lean into peace and to freedom. And one of the best ways that we can understand this generous heart of God is by looking at the relationship in the Trinity, the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We talk about it every Sunday in here. We always say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But a lot of times we, we think, well, that's just too complicated for us to understand. And it does take a little bit of work for us to lean into this and to kind of think, what is it, what is it that we have one God in three persons, that God is God the Father, that God is God the Son, And that God is God the Holy Spirit. In the very beginning in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we see God the Father creating the world and the Spirit hovering over the waters. 
And during Christmas, both Alan and Benjamin preached on John 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it says in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know that Christ was present, not just in the New Testament, not just as a baby, but since the very beginning of the world. I wonder what Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit were doing before they created Adam and Eve and before they created the earth. Jesus gives us a little insight into that when he's praying in John chapter 17. It's such an intimate chapter of prayer between the Father and the Son. And Jesus says to his dad, he says, You loved me before the creation of the world. God didn't create us because he was lonely and he needed some people to interact with. God wasn't lonely. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always existed in perfect love with one another. And that is so important because that means that God's primary identity is not that he's creator. It's amazing that he's creator and that he created us, but that's not his primary identity. And it means that his primary identity isn't ruler. You know, he has given us commandments to follow. Alan, you know, stood up here and did the summary of the law as we do Sunday after Sunday here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the first and second greatest commandments. Like, God's primary identity is not just giving us commandments and ruling over us and making sure we follow them. What is God's primary identity that has been in existence forever? As God is the Alpha and the Omega, God's primary identity is that he is relational. It's that he is Father. Think about how Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. In Deuteronomy 131, God carries his people as a father carries his son. Psalm 103.13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Everything that God does, whether it is ruling whether it is creating, whether it is anything, he does it as a father because that is his primary identity. And God never became a father. God always has been a father. Now, why is that so important? Because a father is someone who gives life, someone who begets children. Being a father means that God's nature is that he is life-giving. In Jeremiah 2.13 The Lord calls himself this. He says, I am the spring of living water. Who's the living water? Jesus. God says, I'm the spring of living water. And a lot of of theologians over time have compared God to this fountain who just bursts out life. And just as a fountain, in order to actually be a fountain, has to pour forth water. So the Father, in order to be a Father, has to pour forth life. That is who God is. God is Father. So love isn't just something that God feels sometimes towards you. It is in his very nature. It is who he is. He is a generous, loving Father. He is love so much so that it is impossible for God to not be able to love. So when we enter into communion with God, we get caught up. In this community of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, when we get caught up in this love relationship that exists between the Godhead and the Trinity, we can't help but to love others out of that. 
And it happened to me this past week. I was down in Florida for the Young Life Staff Conference, and there are 3,500 Young Life Staff and 2,100 spouses there, almost 6,000 people. And it was so encouraging for me to be around all these folks who live in 104 different countries and who give their lives away to kids every single day. It was unbelievable to hear testimony after testimony of what God's doing in different parts of the world and to hear about how God is moving. But I got to be one of the work crew bosses and oversee this group of about 70 college students and adults. Bill and Joanne Goins from Grace Community Church were on my team. And Justin McWilliams and Peter Twibu. Austin Drake was there as one of the Young Life staff folks. A lot of other folks from Greensboro area. And it was really fun to be among friends. But it was one of the hardest and most taxing things I've ever done. Because we got up at 5 o'clock every morning and went to bed at about 1 o'clock every night. And I don't know how the older crew did it because I was physically just dying. I drank more coffee. We drank $8,000 worth of Disney World coffee as our work staff. True story. I'm not kidding. It was crazy. We, I, I mean, that was like the only thing that sustained me, that and the Lord. But what, what happened was we were in this community, these 70 folks serving these 6,000 folks. And all day, every day, all this stuff had to be done. We laid out 6,000 different flags on all the chairs. We put all these flag posts together. We folded t-shirts. We unloaded boxes. We cleaned. We did everything behind the scenes. And most people didn't even know that we were there. It was happening behind the scenes. But there was such joy in the serving because we were doing it in this community together. And we would stand up every morning when we got there and spend some time reading God's word and pray. And we would say, hey, where did you see Christ? Yesterday, And kids who were 19 years old, who are young life leaders in the Czech Republic, would stand up and tell about how they saw the Lord. And 70-year-olds who were there without any sleep, one of them who lost his father while he was there, would stand up and share how he saw the Lord. And it was so powerful to be in this community together. And you know what it made me want to do? It made me want to like live that way. And y'all, that's the way that God lives. That is God. God lives in that community serving and giving and being generous all the time. And so our invitation as the church is to join the generous, loving community of the Trinity. That's what we are getting invited into. This series on generosity is not about like emptying your billfolds. It's about getting to participate in the life-giving nature of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's something that when we see it, oh, we long to be a part of it. We long to be a part of it. And then in 1 John 4, 7 through 8, we read these instructions that kind of give us a blueprint for, for how life can play out this way. How we can find life when we live it this way. How we can find life when we give it away. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from where? It comes from God, not from mustering it up inside. It comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Everything else we do apart from God is just selfish motivation. It's not true love. God himself is love. And in verse 9 and 10, we see how this plays out. This is how God showed us that he is love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. 
The ultimate generosity of God is seen in the sending of his son, the one he delights in. And it was costly for God the Father to send his son to be crucified on a cross, to be crucified on one of those trees that he had made in the Garden of Eden. But it was the ultimate picture of the generosity of God. It is a generosity that gives and not one who takes. It's a generosity who gives not to people who deserve it or to people who have earned it, but to gives to those who have rebelled against him. The ultimate generosity of God is that his love was shown to his enemies. And over the next few weeks during the season of Epiphany, we're going to focus on the generosity of God, the gifts of God for the people of God. And we've created this sermon guide to help you in that process. And in this guide, Jason and Rachel have worked really hard on making it accessible for you, and there are blanks for you to write questions in. There are practical steps you can take, and you can pick this up in the welcome table during hospitality today. But we want to give you a chance to wrestle with the Lord on this. Lord, what does it mean that you are generous, and how do I participate in this? And I just want to give you a couple steps to take even today. Like, what would it look like instead of just kind of hearing the sermon and and moving on? But sometime today, maybe it's during lunch with a friend or or eating chili tonight at the chili cook-off. What would it look like if instead of just having small talk with your brothers and sisters, you just said, hey, how has the Lord been generous to you? Hey, I know there's this tree right in the middle of your life that looks like God is, is withholding something from you. But let's look at the vast delight of the Lord in your life. Tell me, how has the Lord been generous to you? Like that can, that can be a conversation starter for you at lunch or tonight at dinner that can help us step into and see the generosity of God. And spiritual practices like that take our eyes off of ourselves and that one tree and they put them on the glory of God. And tonight after we eat some chili together, we're going to come back in here. And Alan is going to share with us some ways that we can participate in that generosity. And he's going to allow stories to be told of how we have seen that generosity in the life of our church. And as we do that, we're going to get a chance to give cheerfully and generously with our time and our talent and our treasures. And doing that, something amazing is going to happen. Because when we participate in the generosity of God, we make God visible to the unbelieving world around us. You know, there's a lot of things that I love about getting to be a priest. But um, my favorite is by far getting to just receive and share communion with you and to participate in the Eucharist together. Because for me, it's such a picture of the generosity that we've been talking about. You know, um, when I tell people about Redeemer and down in Florida, people are kind of asking me about what I do and, and about our church. And when I tell people about our church, I tell them that we are an unlikely group of people. You know, we don't share a lot of affinities. There are people on both extremes of the political spectrum in here. You know, not everybody was up late watching football last night. Some people like to play video games. Some people like to do art. We don't share a lot, a lot of affinities in common, but we do share one thing in common. And that's that we are sinners in need of grace and that we have received this generous love of God. And so when we come to the table and when we open our hands and we make a plate with them and we say we are hungry and desperate for the broken body of Christ. God, give generously to me. We are all united and we are brothers and sisters. Although we are more different than similar in a lot of ways, it brings us all to this common place where we are standing together at the foot of the cross. And I, um, 
I just hope that today, when you receive the bread, the broken body of Christ, and the wine, the shed blood of Christ, that you're reminded again of how much God loves and delights in you. It's, um, it's often an emotional thing as, as a priest to get to, to remind somebody of that, to get to have this moment where we look you in the eye and say, this is the body of Christ that was broken not for the world, but it was broken for you. And God wants you to know that generous love. And y'all, I love each of you so much. And, it, and, and when I'm away, just for a week like I was, it is, it is hard on my heart because God has knit together this family. And we have an opportunity together to show the world what God looks like. We have an opportunity together to live generously. And so many of us, I see it every day happening. It's not something new that we're going to start just because we're in a new sermon series. We get to continue to live this out together. And I'm so grateful that the Lord has invited us to participate in the beauty of his relationship and communion with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us get caught up in your love. Lord, I pray that the world around us would long to be a part of this. And Lord, just as a fountain pours forth water, make us your beloved overflow with your generous love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us be known by our love. Let us be known by our love. Pray that with me. Let us be known by our love.